From high atop Rocky Road in Moab, Utah, it's KZMU News. I'm Justin Higginbottom, and this is your news for Thursday, December 22nd. The Radiation Exposure Compensation Act, or RECA, offers funds for those exposed to radiation from nuclear weapons testing or uranium mining and processing. It covers those Cold War years prior to 1971 when many workers in the West, including in southeastern Utah, helped the U.S. government build a nuclear stockpile. Before that compensation expired over the summer, leaving many impacted by America's nuclear industry without help, President Biden signed a two-year extension. Phil Harrison was glad for the extra time, but he wanted more. He worked in a uranium mine in northern Arizona while in high school, and later founded the Navajo Uranium Radiation Victims Committee in the late 70s. He's been pushing for an amendment to RECA that includes expanding who is covered, including those working in mines after 71. I said the mood now, the atmosphere for the people that were helping, they are telling us that it's not going to happen. The bill's not going to be done because the Republicans are against that. Regardless of what the Navajos did with the Coke talkers, regardless of many young people that are in the military serving their country, for national security, but is that the the Senate Republicans, they're not about to do that. He helps those Navajo that qualify make a claim. And he says there's a high disparity between tribal and non-tribal claim acceptance rates. The other thing is that the Department of Justice requires that they show uh, original uh, residency, like land title. And we don't have that. We don't have that. The Navajo Nation is a federal trust land. The government has the title, but yet the Department of Justice says, show us your land papers. And all they have is Hogan and the, and the corral and sheep out there. He's been trying to at least start the process for post-71 workers so that if an amendment is passed, they can file. The problem is that those workers are so pessimistic about an amendment ever passing, many don't think it's worth their time. The consensus is that Congress is not going to do it. They're not going to approve it. So a lot of them are just abstaining. They don't They don't go to our meetings. So. Harrison has had kidney problems. And he's seen many family members and friends die of cancer he believes is linked to the mines where he was raised. Our people use, were used as guinea pigs. And uh, there was no, no warning whatsoever. I work over here, over this mountain with my father when I was in high school. I was given the shovel, and they said, clear the tracks, grease the fan. If you're not doing that, help the driller. So I did that. I went to the cistern system, drank water like crazy, go back to work. And uh, I was never warned. Nobody told me not to drink that water. Nobody told me that don't eat in there. Nobody told me that when you get off work, go shower, go take care of yourself, personal hygiene that the workers' health and safety, that was never, never applied. Congress has less than two years now to pass an amendment. And despite workers' pessimism, Harrison isn't giving up the fight for what he believes Navajo are owed. The main branch of the Boulder Public Library closed Monday afternoon to allow for testing related to methamphetamine contamination. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, KGNU's John Kellen has more. The environmental testing will include taking swab samples from surfaces inside and outside of restrooms. 
Earlier testing of residue from restroom air ducts showed higher than acceptable levels of meth. That testing came after a spike in reports of people smoking in the public restrooms over the last four weeks. Library spokespeople say the closure is out of an abundance of caution. There's no indication that people who've been in the library and its restrooms recently face serious health risks. However, two city employees were evaluated and cleared after showing symptoms consistent with potential exposure to meth residue or fumes. Library Director David Farnan called the closure a truly sad situation that shows the impact of a widespread epidemic in the United States. There's no word at this time how long the main branch closure will last. For KGNU, I'm John Kellen. 2022 was a particularly bad year for the Colorado River. The 23-year drought across the southwest grew worse, and demand for the river's water continued to outstrip supply. Climate change is shrinking the river that supplies 1 in 10 Americans, and policymakers are caught in a standoff about how to share it. KUNC's Alex Hager has this look back. The Colorado River starts here, deep in the mountains of the state that shares its name. Nearly 60% of the river is born as snow in the Colorado Rockies. In January, under tall conifers with his feet buckled into skis, Stephen Jowen with the Natural Resources Conservation Service trekked out into the woods to measure it. He works on the front lines of an alarming trend. When I first started 15 years ago, you know, we'd actually measure some snow in, in the last, uh, you know, in the April-May survey. And a lot of times now we just walk in and there's no snow. Long-term climate patterns show a trend of warming and drying. That means less snow where it matters most. And when it does fall, it's melting quicker and getting soaked up by dry soil before it can reach the river. All of that is creating urgent problems. This year, water levels in America's two biggest reservoirs, both on the Colorado, Lake Mead, and Lake Powell, hit all-time lows. That threatens their ability to generate hydropower, which millions of Americans depend on. For the first time since the 60s, dropping levels could force operators to shut off hydropower turbines as early as next summer. Deep inside the concrete dam at Lake Powell, the turbines continue humming for now, but manager Bob Martin is worried. Anybody in hydropower, you know, their whole career is based on reliability of these units. So to come into a power plant, being quiet, would be very, very disturbing for me. Water leaders have assembled a patchwork of band-aids to stave off catastrophe, but they haven't reached a deal that would significantly reduce water demand. This summer, the federal agency that manages Western Water threatened to force cutbacks. Camille Kalin-Lemtutin leads that agency. In June, she called on states to conserve an unprecedented amount and gave them two months to come up with a plan. Between two and four million acre feet of additional conservation is needed just to protect critical levels in 2023. That's about as much as the entire state of Colorado draws from the river most years. The request sent a seismic shock through the seven states that share water from the river, but it didn't pull them together to make a deal. The deadline passed, but there were no forced cutbacks. And the states are still caught in a standoff, pointing fingers at each other, reluctant to make hard sacrifices of their own. Becky Mitchell is Colorado's top river negotiator. We all have to be able to sell this, and it is really hard to sell something when there are winners and losers. 
Experts say dropping water levels and the struggle to cut back mean big changes needed across huge swaths of the country. Sarah Dant is a professor of history at Weber State University in Utah. And I think it's also this very stark and obvious indication that we have so long not understood the power of aridity. Dant says nature is winning out in places where conditions are too dry to sustain life as we know it. Climate change is making dry places even drier. Even John Wesley Powell, the Colorado River explorer for whom Lake Powell is named, warned that the West would never be as green as the East. But nobody wanted to pay attention to him because, you know, let's gung-ho, boom, boom, here we, here we go, let's settle. And we've been putting off this reckoning with aridity for a long time now. States are scrambling to find some compromise and cut back on demand before 2026 when the current guidelines for the river expire. But climate change is only making that job harder, shrinking supplies with no end in sight. I'm Alex Hager. And that's the KZMU News for Thursday, December 22nd. Get your community power journalism Monday through Friday at noon and 7. You can also find KZMU News anytime online at kzmu.org or wherever you listen to podcasts.